BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is part two of my conversation with Dr. Dan Siegel, New York Times bestselling author, psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and huge contributor to the field. We're talking about interconnectedness, how to help our children think of a challenge mindset instead of a threat mindset how to find their inner compass, how to prevent burnout, and how to distinguish between our inner lives and our relationship in the outside world and our interconnectedness to it all. If you have a moment, please don't hesitate to write a little review. It's so helpful to keep getting the word out there. And Join me on Substack, DrAliza.substack.com for my free newsletter. And of course, my new exclusive Apple podcast content for Raising Good Humans. This season is all about mastering resilience. As always, keep DMing me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast so I can keep connecting with you, respond to your questions through my newsletter and videos, and when we are sitting here together on this podcast. So writing this book, Interconnected, really helped me because, you know, I kind of stepped through all the stages of development, including adult development, to really look at, you know, how this opening up of what the self means, this we, as the you know the integration of self identity belonging that's the subtitle but the the interconnected nature of it you it's almost like this fun joy filled awe inspiring kind of uh, way of of living because then you realize each moment is this incredible gift each day as john would say you know is this kind of place of thresholds you know the the sunrise the sunset and you treat each day like a lifetime. And if you get another lifetime tomorrow, that's awesome. You know, literally filled with awe and gratitude and compassion. And it's just, you know, it doesn't mean we don't work to make the world a better place. We absolutely do. But what it does, and I said this to my dear mentor and friend, Joanna Macy, you know, she was saying to me that a number of the, she's been working in activism for like over 50 years and she's 93 now, she's my mom's age. So she was saying that a number of her social activists colleagues, students, you know, are burning out. And so I said, yeah, you know, the way the physiology of that works, and this is true of parenting too, stay with our parenting focus. You know, when you really have the courage to care, you know, when there's something you perceive as a threat, of course you activate your fight reaction and or or flee, you want to run away or 
freeze and you tighten up your muscles or even faint and you collapse out of helplessness. But each of those are exhausting. Yeah. They're only meant to last, you know, a few minutes, maybe a few hours. Okay, a few days. But even just take the, the pandemic we're in, it's like almost going on three years now. So everyone's exhausted, just exhausted. And for social activism, if we interpret the things we're trying to change as threats, you're going to get burnt out. So this is what I said to Joanna. I said, because of my history of dance, you know, I said, what if we instead did the classic shift from a threat mindset to a challenge mindset and really saw the things we were trying to deal with as dance partners? So we wake up every day and we say, how am I going to dance with racism? How am I going to dance, you know, with climate disasters? How am I going to dance with political polarization? You know, and instead of going, oh my God, this is a big fight, say, okay, this isn't a dance. What's the music today? You know, and, you know, you can say, oh, Dan, you're such a Pollyanna. I don't think I'm like an idealist. I think I'm a realistic idealist. No, I think that know? the way you're saying that, it, I, I, it's important because you absolutely just get burnout. And and to just bring it to parenting, it's the same. It, you're totally right. If you don't view it as the challenge and you view it as a threat, your your stress response will make it turn into burnout. And then what good are you to anybody? So I, exactly. I love the idea of the dance instead of the challenge, instead of the threat, to be able to transform ourselves. That's not Pollyanna-ish, it's protective. Yeah. And in that protection, it's a win-win situation. So right, I mean, staying with you as a parent, you know, it, what, what Intraconnected does is it teaches you the steps of the dance that allow you to go, well, okay, I'm, I'm sort of hearing the music. I can shift it from threat to challenge. What's the dance? So as a parent, you know, it wasn't written as a parenting book, but as we're talking about this, you know, in some ways, it's like the ideal parenting book for self-development, even though it was written more for like a, a message to humanity, like, yeah. hey, you know, here's 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 some ideas. Let, let's see how they land with you. And because we don't have that much time actually to course correct from what Joanna calls business as usual and to create what she names, I think, beautifully. And I talk about this in the book, the great turning, you know, that cultural evolution can happen. It really can. And it can happen with intention. So the question is then, how do we intentionally shift the way we communicate with each other. Well, we communicate with words. So this little book is a, a simple attempt to say, okay, let's start with a basic word like self and let's like blow it out of the water from what we've been just assuming it means, the individual. And let's see how this shift affects us. So we go through, you know, I mean, I can go through all the, the things I'm talking about in the book, but just to highlight some of them, the nervous system begins actually in in utero, as it develops, as the outer layer of the, the conceptus. In other words, it's going to be the skin. It folds inward. So everything we talk about, about the brain and your embodied nervous system is really fancy skin cells. And the reason to start there is that the skin is about the inner and the outer, right? It's the interface. So even if you're like a brain junkie, and I love studies of the brain, we need to realize the brain is all about this meeting of the inner and the outer. The next thing we do is realize when the baby is born, he, she, they are now experiencing something very different from in the womb. You know, in the womb, you were just at one with the uterus, and now you're 
alone in the world, you know? And in this being separate starts a huge journey of self-experience. Before it was at one with the uterus, and there you go. What, did, what I mean by that? You don't have to breathe. You don't have to eat. You never get hungry. You don't have to go find a place to pee or anything like that. You don't need hugging. It's all there and you're just being. That's just the reality of it. In the last two months of in utero life, we have something called implicit memory. We remember that. You know, and this this next book I'm writing with some colleagues is all about this transition from in utero to being out in the world. So now you're alone in the world. And and so then what do you do? Well, there's a number of sciences of self-experience that how the individual develops that I, I quote in the book. It's not an acad this is not an academic review book, but I, I know those fields, so I just kind of summarize them and make them accessible. So one is from Dan Stern, which talks about, you know, the core self having this experience for the baby in the first year of life where there's CCAA. It's this idea, the AA is affectivity, the emotion that's there, agency, this movement of your body. CC is this continuity across emotions and agency. And then this coherence when it makes sense. So AC -A is how you remember it. Anyway, that core self develops and is really shaped by attachment experiences. So the core self has these different ways of experiencing affectivity, agency, continuity, and coherence. But that is as the nervous system develops. And then, you know, when the baby starts going forward, there's also this relational self that is obviously there all the time once you're out of the womb. And then what happens is there's a narrative self that begins to develop around, you know, somewhere between 12 and 36 months of age, depending on the kid. And this narrative self is basically the interface between the inner core self we just identified with affectivity, agency, continuity, and coherence, and the relational world, which begins in the beginning. But now you have a narrative that says, well, who am I? And it's at this moment that it's really important how we as parents use that word self to talk about little Joanna or little Joey, you know, because if we just say who you are is just in your body, the narrative self of that child is going to believe what you say. And if you start speaking like it's spoken about in indigenous cultures, you know, you are the sky, you are the forest. You are all of humanity and you are Joey in the body. Mm -hmm. You can start talking like that. So you know, certainly attachment shapes a, a coherent core self. And now you have an opportunity before your kid ever gets to preschool to really start thinking about it. And this, I hope interconnect is just one way to frame it, you know, where you start realizing, wow, the narrative I give, the stories I tell, the way people experience life through words, you know, and is as this much larger whole than just the body. So their identity is seen as this larger whole. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. However you're spending the winter season, make sure you're getting your best sleep with a set of buttery soft sheets with bowl and branch sheets. They're made with the softest 100% organic cotton you've ever felt. It's the kind of quality you will know immediately. I unboxed these beauties and just was in love. 
They're so soft and they use high quality threads. They're made from slow grown organic cotton for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They are so buttery to the touch. I was so excited because I absolutely like to make sure that I'm in love with a product, especially for sleep, because we know that sleep is so important. Why not make it luxurious? There are versatile colors and sizes from twin up to California king, and they're made without toxins, free from pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals so you can feel great about them. And they give you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders, so it's easy, breezy to try them out. Make the most of bedtime with bull and branch sheets. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code HUMANS at B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. That's bowlandbranch.com, promo code HUMANS. So soft. I'm so excited for you to try them. I'm excited to share this sponsor with you, Inside Tracker. To live your healthiest and longest life possible, you have to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things you can take control of to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and lifestyle choices, including ways to optimize sleep and stress. Inside Tracker tests and provides optimal ranges for over 40 biomarkers like magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, ferritin, so many. And the thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do. If your scientific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash humans. So if you are in this new 2023 year and you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body so that you can help optimize what's not working and highlight what is, visit insidetracker.com slash humans. How does this manifest in the way kids may respond in their relationships as they make friends and as they start to care about the larger world. And by larger world, I just mean from inside the house to maybe what's happening to their neighbor. I don't mean that they should go at three years old or five years old and go from in, inner to, you know, inner and their immediate attachment figures to figuring out how to solve environmental the environmental crisis or anything like that, but really just that growth and development, understanding that we are part of this bigger, we are, like you just said, I just can't, I just am going to take the words from you, but you are the sky or you are not just your skin encased body. You are the sky, you are the forest, et cetera. How does that translate as kids are developing? And we speak of them as being particularly and developmentally appropriately what we've previously called self-absorbed. Right, right. Well, 
you know, certainly when you look at the research, kids are noticing features that would characterize them, like, for example, what cereal they like, and they will treat people who are similar to them with more kindness. Studies of puppets, you know, show this the way kids treat puppets who are like the cereal they like versus they mistreat, you know, the puppets that don't like, that like cereal they don't like. So the word like is very interesting, that if you like things I like, if we are alike, then I will like you. It's really fascinating just from a linguistic yeah. point of view. And that's as early as 14 months. And so it, kids make these distinctions of what are the characteristics that define who I am and who's in my in-group, basically, versus who's in my out-group. And unfortunately, that's been around in primate evolution for probably 50 million years. So you have this beginning of, you know, who is like me, who's not like me, who's in my in-group, who's in my out, who's in the out-group. And I like the former and dislike the latter. So that, you know, when this is now in the you know second year of life, you know, after the kid's first birthday, this is important. So how we narrate that, and you know, someone I was teaching at a preschool last night, and uh, one of the grandparents said, well, I don't get it. I mean, this sounds all nice, but my kid's saying, that's my toy, don't take my toy. You know, and you know, this is before preschool, one of the kids at, at their home, you know, and it's true, you know, the child is developing this core self, doesn't want to share their toys. And that's kind of the way, that's the way we are, you know, that's the way we are as mammals, you know, and, and, and so we, we live in a mammalian body. And now the narrative self that develops is probably very much related to an area called the default mode network, which is the central part of the front and back part of the cortex, primarily midline. And its development now is shaped by experience. So it is going to form a story about who the self is. And that's because we're narrative creatures, you know? And so I talk about my narrative. I'm, I was trained in narrative science and my teacher in that area was Jerry Bruner. And Jerry would always say, you know, that a narrative is initiated by a violation in expectation, which is called a canonical violation. Canon is just like what we expect to have happen. So, you know, we expect other people to like what we like. And when they don't, maybe we tell a story about it. We tell a story how they're not good people or whatever. We have to be very careful of that because, you know, children pick up what we narrate to them. And certainly racism, this is a part of what goes on in racism. And even the idea of constructing race, because as you probably know, you know, there is no biology of race. It's a mental construction that's a social excuse for racism to say that one group is better than the other. And that can be part of part of a person's narrative. And here's here's the problem. So now we're basically now in the first to third year of life. The stories we start to learn in our families, like about racism, become the filters through which we actually perceive the world. So we perceive what we believe and we believe based on what we've learned through what we've been taught. So you have a big influence as a parent, how you shape the perceptual filters called top-down filters that will literally create the total belief system of your child and then what they perceive in this literally in quotes, self-reinforcing. So if the self is separate, it is literally a self-reinforcing prophecy that you're now creating a person's belief. And then when they go to the voting polls, they vote a certain way, you know, because this is the absolute belief. 
and you can talk till the cows come home when you've got an adult who absolutely believes something, you know? So anyway, this being said, it, as a parent, you really are in this beautiful position because your kid wants to understand the world, to talk about things like that and to talk about, you know, you have an identity lens and you can go into a park and just say, look, right now, just focus on what your feet feel like walking in the grass. Oh yeah, they feel soft and it feels a little wet. Yeah, isn't that cool? Now, I want you now to expand a little bit and go beyond just your body. What does it feel like to be here among these three trees? Oh, I feel the wind coming through my leaves. Yeah, that's great. And now you can expand and see the creek over there. Yeah, let's go put our feet in the creek and now feel what it, what it feels like to be the creek, right? Now that kid is gonna have a narrative of who they are where when they go out in the world, it's about the feeling of the body, sure, and the feeling of the trees and the creek. And think about the greater good that gets created when not only your perspective of the whole becomes your identity, but you act on behalf of the greater good. And all the research on that, you know, as you now go into, let's say, elementary school, you go through preschool and you're learning to articulate things and how to name your feelings. But now let's talk about elementary school, primary school. You know, you are now learning how the world is made, right? But if you do that from the perspective of, oh, it's all about how you're going to use this world for material, you know, conquest versus, you know, how do things go together and how do systems function? So, you know, in uh, I talk a lot about the work of Peter Senge and Meta Bowl in systems awareness and compassionate systems leadership, where you can actually teach kids in those primary school years to think in system terms or to continue thinking in system terms. And, and their work, you know, these are the people I studied with who are from MIT, we were up in Colorado at the retreat, but their work is really beautiful to say that children are natural systems thinkers and it gets taught out of them to be linear thinkers and separate, you know, looking at separation rather than, than interconnection. And so this is an opportunity then to expand their innate capacity to be systems thinkers, to have systems awareness, and to tap into something that when a child can feel that, that's called systems intelligence. The systems knowing is to feel into the greater whole, this interconnected whole. So I talk about that. And then, then when we get to adolescence, you know, I review the essence story of the emotional spark. It spells the word essence, emotional spark is the passion adolescents have, the social engagement, the collaboration they have, the novelty seeking, the courage they have to try new things, and the creative exploration. And basically what I say in the book is what modern education does to an adolescent is try to squeeze the passion out of them, squeeze the collaboration out of them, squeeze the courage out of them, squeeze the creativity out of them. And it is the saddest thing. And while their brains were modeling, there's lots of reasons why, you know, it's a hard time. But this mismatch between what they need and the the culture of school that they're they're in is so sad. And so of course they're disillusioned. And they don't feel like they belong, you know, and they get confused in their identity. But instead, you know, if you tap into that essence, and this isn't just about adolescence, but it turns out that you know, if we as adults can hold on to those crucial aspects of the essence of adolescence, we're going to lead a healthier, happier, more contributing adult life. So I talk about that. And then, 
you know, I get into Robert Keegan and, and Leahy's work on the immunity to change and talk about, well, once you hit adulthood, is development over? The answer is no, it's not over, but it can get stuck. And what is that stuckness about? And then what can we use? And I go into great detail on this. What can we use in this whole journey to tap into a core self that is coherent, a narrative self that has this ability to change the lens, you know, this relational self that can realize it's it's really a win-win situation when you start realizing the self is as much relational as embodied, to tap into the essence and then see what this immunity changes so that the adult reading the book says, okay, I can see here whether I'm a parent and working with my relationship with my child, or I'm an adult reflecting back on what happened to me, it's empowering you to yourself open up this experience of self for you. And now a quick break so I can tell you about Caraway. I have loved Caraway for good-looking, clean cooking since before I was doing ads for them. It's a new year. Why not get new kitchenware with Caraway and start the year off right with non-toxic kitchenware so that you can ditch the chemicals and make healthier cooking a piece of cake? With this exclusive discount, you can now save on the full suite of Caraway products, including food storage, tea kettle, and mini cookware. Their famous cookware set is a staple for any home, and it comes in multiple colors to fit with any aesthetic. Plus, its non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home. They feature chemical-free ceramic coating so that food can be prepared with peace of mind and while you're not leaching unhealthy ingredients into your child's food and into your family's food, you're also getting the ease of nonstick. So I have everything from pots, pans, bakeware, and the tea kettle. I am pretty obsessed with it. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com dot com slash humans or use the code humans10 at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. KiwiCo knows a thing or two about delivering moments of discovery through fun hands-on projects. Each month they deliver super cool science, technology, and art projects for kids. For example, discover the science of rainbows by making rainbow-themed art while exploring color theory. Explore engineering and the physics behind dominoes by building a real dominoes machine. Easy to follow instructions that are kid-friendly, the materials are kid-friendly, and KiwiCo delivers everything needed to tinker and build straight to your door. I gifted the Science of Rainbows project to a little one in my life because I needed a great holiday gift and we love rainbows in this house. I just love their super cool hands-on science, art, geography, you name it, projects delivered to your door every month. Also, what I love is that KiwiBox delivery days can be fun and exciting with high quality material and just those moments when you don't necessarily have the open-ended play creativity in you because you're exhausted and you also don't want to just revert to screen time. It just kind of takes the work out of it, which is so relaxing on those which is so relaxing in those moments when you just can't do it all. So make 2023 the year of discovery with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at kiwico.com slash 
humans. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash humans. There's so much to think about. It's so wonderful. The parts of what we know of developmental psychology and what we know about the moments, for example, theory of mind. So that that shift from you know, three to four, five-year-old thinking where you can imagine what's happening or that anything different might be happening from the perception of another perspective of another person to an adolescent who is giving pushback as part of their pushing away from and coming towards again as they're getting ready to leave, but never really leave. How much do these work in concert with this concept? And how much are we going to have to kind of let go of our perceptions about development in order to fit this in? No, I, you know, in, in the field I work in called interpersonal neurobiology, you know, we use a process that E.O. Wilson names in a book called Consilience. So C-O-N-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E. And basically it says, you know, like the story, the blind man and the elephant, you know, there's a whole elephant there and some people study the trunk and some study the uh-huh. toes and some people study the tail and stuff. So, so our view is there's a whole elephant view. And if, if, we, can, if we can get a consilient framework, then what people have studied uh, isn't so much wrong as it's a part of a much larger picture. So, so we don't think if those are well done disciplined studies and concepts that it's something that needs to be gotten rid of at all, but rather than fit into the larger frame. And in fact, I talk about, you know, the whole system of mirror neurons and the way we make representations of other minds through the lens, in fact, of alloparenting, which is humans have a very unusual thing for mammals is that, yes, we have attachment like all mammals but we actually share our child rearing with other attachment figures than, than just the mother. So Sarah Hurdy, H-R-D-Y, wrote a beautiful book called Mothers and Others, you know, about this fact. And it's not just about parenting, but it's probably the origin of our capacity for theory of mind in many ways, because we had to figure out the mental state of an adult in our community to figure out, do we trust where their attention is? Do we trust that they're going to have in their awareness mm. what's going on with our kid? Do we trust their intention? Those mm-hmm. are all mental states. So alloparenting required that our own nervous system, our brain in our head, and our brain in, uh, in the whole body, the, feel, the embodied brain, could feel the mental stance, the mental state of a, a, a person in another body. I'm so trying to avoid the word other like self and I other. I tell you that, it's hard, but it's good, really it's hard. a good practice. So, so then what you say is, okay, so alloparenting has been with us for probably 100, 200,000 years, something like that, you know, in our human evolution, it's probably what allowed us to become so collaborative. So we are built, literally, in, in our genetics, we are built to make representations of other people's mental states. So empathy and compassion are, who we are as a as a human species. Now, it can get pushed out of us for sure, and the way that develops in childhood as you're pointing out can have stages, you know? So you can start seeing this what what in research terms is called theory of mind or the theory theory 
you know, but it's much more than a theory of mind, you know, and I appreciate that term, but, but that's very cognitive. It's really feeling another person's feelings and creating a representation of their mental stance. You know, that's true. I should say theory of mind is the, the, the way it's referred to as a standard, but it doesn't actually articulate necessarily what it means and feelings of feeling. So, you know, when you, when you realize that, then you go, wow, how do you hold on to that? Right. So that the competing force is who you are is just a Lisa in that body. That's all you are. All you are is that you're just that you're just that you're going to do the spelling bee. You're going to get a good grade. You're going to get into a good school. You're going to go try to make your life, your self-actualization. When, when in fact, it's kind of like this strange, misguided support, you know, saying it's all about your own inner life. No, it's actually not all about your own inner life. It's about sure life and it's about your inner and your relational life. And then you, you relax into the truth that who you are is so much more than your individual body, you know? And then, then it becomes like a love fest, you know, because it's like, you know, that you, you're, you're liberated from the lie. And as a parent, what the challenge is, is that you may read the book interconnected and go, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Gosh, I even feel this. I feel the electricity of it. Great. That's step one. Then you may go, but the culture is telling me something quite the opposite. So then it's like, and I remember doing this with our kids, you know, now they're adults, but then it's like, how do I have the talk? that the messages you're getting from the larger culture, even some of your teachers, even some of your peers, may have a conviction to it that is not related to its accuracy with the truth. Oof. Well, well said. <laughs> right? Because then it becomes super confusing. Like, And how do you trust? explain that? How do you explain how to figure out who you trust or how to figure out when to listen, take it in, learn it because you have to go to school and you have to do your work and also be able to come home and talk about was that taught, even if it was in a passionate way, in, was that consistent with what we feel is actually or what we know or what we suspect is actually true? Right. Well, this this two big ways to approach that and they may relate to the two sides of our nervous system but one is what i call an internal compass literally in your heart and in your intestines you have spider web like networks of neurons that give you a gut feeling in your intestines and a heartfelt sense in your chest and you know making sure children and adolescents are taught to have this what's called interoceptive capacity and just in, in plain English terms, we call that an inner compass. So the first thing is to make sure they know they have that inner compass. And that inner compass is going to give them a gut feeling and a heartfelt sense that is beneath and before and beyond words. And it doesn't mean it's always accurate, but it's always important to tune into it and see what it's telling you. So it may say something feels wrong about what my teacher's saying, I don't know what that is. Fine. The other thing is, you know, probably more a left side of the brain story 
which is a narrow focus of attention compared to the broad of the right. It also includes the interiority of the body on the right side. But on the left side, you want to teach critical thinking. You know, and I don't mean critical like you're criticizing someone, but you are you are using your capacity for logic and you're saying, let me look at the assumptions beneath the words that are being spoken and let me be careful about the nonverbal sense of conviction and, and passion a person has and realize that a person can be passionate about something that's a falsehood. And, you know, this is part of what's called metacognition, which is, you know, thinking about thinking. But you realize in, in scientific terms, there's something called the appearance reality distinction that children need to learn these metacognitive skills, which they learn between three and nine. You know, so it's not like you wait till they're teenagers. And, and you say, yeah, something appeared this way, but the truth is it's actually that way. So someone can present something with so much conviction that appears true, but it actually is wrong, you know, and, and that's just part of metacognitive capacity. It's a critical thinking skill, critical meaning you're going to use your thinking to very carefully analyze, analyze means break down into its parts. Okay, this person had so much conviction, so it must be true. Wait a second, wait a second. That assumption that I just made, their conviction equals the accuracy. Ah, my assumption that those go together is actually a false assumption in me. So, oh, interesting. I see. So I'm going to think again about my belief that what they said was true because I got swayed by the nonverbal conviction in their tone of their voice. But when I'm really thinking about it, I realize the self is not just in the body. And the journey of life is not just, you know, acquire material stuff. It's about our relational con contribution. It's really about love. It's about connection. It's about joining. It's about construction. It's about integration. All the things you can teach as a parent. And you teach that, you know, you say, yeah, well, this is your, this is your metacognitive ability. And guess what? Humans are fascinating and frustrating, right? And we're fabulous and also really whacked out, you know, and we do wonderful things and we do hard things. So that's a part of the, you know, that's also a metacognitive thing. Like, oh, I thought all of humanity was great. No, all humanity is not great. Some human beings do evil things. And you may say it's not their fault, but it is their responsibility. And so we need to take a deep breath and children can learn this. They really can. And, and so as a parent, you want everything to be rosy, but actually that's not the way the world is. And your kids will learn to find the joy in the joyful things. And you'll give them the capacity to hold in awareness the painful things and not have to run from them. And how do you how do you make sense for them all of that and continuing to show up and do the work they need to do to participate in the world in the school in the system and hold that simultaneously yeah well i mean you know i'm an acronym nut so i what comes to my mind is the acronym part you know, the part we play. So the P is presence. That's the showing up you're referring to. And presence is really an open, accepting awareness. And accepting doesn't mean you think the, the horrible things going on that you're dealing with are good. It just means you accept that they are there. That's the presence. Attunement 
is a focusing of attention to the inner world. So you're, you really want to know what are the feelings, the meanings, the longings, the memories, the perceptions beneath the behavior. So what's the mind beneath the behavior of your child? If we're talking about parent-child relationships. So your presence, your attunement. So it's not just focusing on what their actions are doing. It's what's, what's the mind beneath the actions, the emotions, the meaning. And the R is resonating. And this is where the most challenging part is, I think, where you aren't just doing this on an intellectual level. You're feeling their feelings, but you're not becoming them. When we think about the solo self coming back around in this discussion, how do we find that place between helping children understand their inner life and their inner self? And also letting go of this hyperfixation on solo self. Because what I see, and I don't know if you see this. So this may be just, I, I'm not entirely sure I feel this way, but I'm going to give it a try. I, I sort of feel like in the, in the desperate service of trying to reparent ourselves and unlearn things that we experienced in our youth, we're so focused on helping our children experience this solo self and all of the self-actualization and self-whatever, fill in the blank that you mentioned from self-help books or from whatever it was that started the self-movement in terms of solo self. How do we help not have just total navel gazers while still respecting their inner self? Well, I think we do that by allowing this we. So it's not me to we, where we get rid of me in order to be the we. No, no, no. I mean, that's how the whole we word got created was a student of mine said, I'm so mad at you. I gave a talk called me to we because I thought it sounded cool or whatever. And, I, and it was about embracing the relational self as well as the individual self. But the phrase me to we implies getting rid of me and going only to we. And she ah. was absolutely right. So she said, come up with a different name. And I may said, okay, not only me, but also we. She goes, that's too clunky. So I said, well, if you integrate me and we, I guess you would not want to lose the me while you're bringing in the we. So me plus we. I said, how about we? And she said, that's it. You know. So that's how it got created in that conversation. And so that's the we doesn't at all minimize the importance of the interiority of you know inner uh, inner understanding inner compassion inner development inner strength inner regulation you know anything perhaps we used to use the word self regulation self understanding self compassion all that stuff just replace it with inner i love that so and much when you say inner what's that i just love that so much just replace it with inner and it really articulates what we're actually talking about what we're actually talking about and then even in the word inner the person hearing that goes, oh, yeah, then there must be an inter. And when you combine them together, it's the intra, right? It's the wholeness of all. So, so you know, the inter is your, your relationships of your body to another human be being, to many human beings, to all humanity, to all of nature. And that's the inter. And then when you put the inner and the inter together, it's the intra. It's kind of simple, but it's 
you know, it's spatial. So literally, if your kid says, what do you mean inter? You go, well, you have the inner inside your body there, Joey, Joanna. You know, you've got the inter here between you and your friend or you and the class or you and the trees. And you are the inter as much as the inner. They go, okay, thanks, mom. You know, thanks, dad. You know, and that's it. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.